We're going to be spending our time looking at living our life on mission. One of the things that um, haunts me is, to, is, is if, as we look forward, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to finish, I don't want to take my last breath and have regrets for the kingdom of God. And I, I want to challenge us this morning from both God's word and some from thoughts that the Lord's pressed into me um, to really challenge you to live your life on mission, kind of a no regrets life. Don't waste your life. Um, and so uh, one of the things I do want to highlight, though, is that mission is not crossing an ocean. That's what God called our family to do, to hop the pond. But mission is wherever your foot falls. And so what I love about Champion Forest, and especially what, what God's been uh, doing here at the North Klein campus, um, like feeding folks and looking after folks. And so, I mean, Cheryl's already referenced this card. But, I mean, the reality is uh, there's so much that can be done right now, right here, in this community, in this town, in this state, across this nation, and ultimately, if God leads you to go to the uttermost parts, will certainly join in the mission of God uh, for his global mandate to take the gospel to the nations. But mission really is wherever your foot falls. And so we want to invite you. As a matter of fact, I believe God is inviting you into the story that he is writing and wants to write with your life. Henry Blackaby, way back in, I don't know, might have been the 80s or the 90s, um, reminded us that God is always moving. God is always at work. And the beauty of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, get to join in with God in the mission of God. And so what sometimes I just love to think about how God is writing this grand narrative, right, this grand story. And, and you and I are a part of the story that God's writing. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes we can get a little, you know, our life can feel boring. But the reality is life is meant to be like you're reading this incredible book that you can't put down, okay? And, and, and that's the way the Christian life is meant to be. It's meant to be an adventure. It's meant to be exciting. And really the reality is when we walk with God, that's what makes the adventure exciting. And so really the reality is today the page is turning and the next chapter or the next paragraph, the next sentence is God's writing a story and he wants to write your name into the next paragraph. And so I want to invite you to join with me in the mission of God. All right, so we're going we're gonna to hit three or four verses. I'm going to read a couple here to you kind of over us as we get started. The first one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Now, one of the things we say a lot, and you're going to hear me reference this a couple of times today, is this phrase, the gospel moves at the speed of relationships. The gospel moves at the speed of relationships. I believe that's Jesus' model of ministry. Everywhere you see Jesus, he's walking slowly through the crowd. He's with people. He's making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's the, that's the, um, that's the picture we see in the New Testament. And uh, my reference the last 10 years has been post-Christian culture. That's what Europe is. Europe is one, was once the brightest candle that burned for the gospel, and they sent missionaries. I mean, the Reformation emanated from there 502 years ago, like next week. And then, um, you, know, you know, the first and second Great Awakening, both were born in, in the United Kingdom and hopped oceans and changed continents, right? That's what Europe was. But right now, Europe is an, um, it's just empty. The churches are empty, cathedrals are museums, churches are closing. So that's been my context the last 10 years, post-Christian culture. I actually believe 
that coronavirus, I used to say to my American pastors and friends and churches, really anyone who would listen to me, was you're going to look just like Europe in 15 or 20 years if we don't change the way we do ministry, if we don't engage relationally, right? I actually think the coronavirus has spread, uh, sped that up. I think overnight our churches were empty. And so we have to kind of pivot how we do relationships, how we do life, how we do ministry. And so uh, it, this became real to me, real uh, intense, how important it is to do life with people in a post-Christian culture because they don't care about this book. They don't care about your church. That's why John's story is so powerful. He met believers, real genuine Christ followers in 2005. And his journey started there spiritually. And he would tell you that he was an unbeliever, didn't believe the name, uh, the message of the Bible, didn't believe that Jesus was real or could save him or change his life. But over time, engaging with people, he gave his life to Jesus. We've seen that time and time again in the United Kingdom. It is a, it's through the slow process of relationships that the gospel advances. So pick it up with me in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And so Paul, again, this is, the context is Paul planted a church in Thessaloniki, and he's reaching back to them. And listen to what he says. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Don't you just see in the, in, the, in the wording there how powerful relationships are to the Apostle Paul? It wasn't about, you know, actually planting a church. It was about planting his life, life on life, investing in people. Another church that Paul planted, the church at Philippi and Philippians, again, a letter that he's writing, reaching back into the lives that he'd been a part of. He says in Philippians 1, 3 through 6, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So the, the premise for this morning is that the gospel moves at the speed of relationships. It advances in relationships. That first conversation, the gospel penetrates the hearts and minds and lives of people that we engage with as we talk about our faith, as we invest in people, the word of God, and, sp and spiritually challenge them with the truth of God. It advances in relationships. It lands on their heart, and it blossoms in relationships. And then it produces fruit that remains in relationships, a life changed. John and Jenny Stewart, and now their daughter Freya, are now growing up in a spiritual world of faith in Jesus Christ, but it started with a small, in, influential conversation that led to more conversations, that led to more involvement and understanding. And that gospel that advanced initially began to blossom, and now it's producing fruit that remains. Now he's leading a ministry. And you know, when I think about the impact of Champion Forest, both for him personally and for us as a ministry with UKUSA Ministries and now with Greater Europe Mission, this church has been an unbelievable partner. And I just want to say thank you because the gospel moves at the speed of relationships. And you've been a huge part of that. So when we think about 
I mean, you know, uh, I don't want to waste my life, okay? Now, you're going to hear me say some things that you might not agree with. One of them is, I don't believe retirement is a biblical concept, okay? So you can chew on that, and if you're there, then we'll talk about how God can use you in the future. In your retirement years, it's really exciting what's coming. But the reality is, uh, it's all about the dash, okay? So when, when I think about the dash, I was born in 1962, all right? And so the dash is every minute I've had from June 9th, 1962 until my last breath on this planet. And the reality is I want to be used by God for kingdom advancement until the last time I breathe. And so the reality is all of us are being invited by God to view life like that, that we don't waste a moment, that we engage with God in his mission as we advance the gospel. So how do you and I assure that at the end of our lives, whenever that dash is over, and listen, I'm honest, I'd love to go another 20 or 30 years. My mom's 85. She was born in Hamilton, Texas, and she's like tough as a boot, okay? And you know, her mother lived to be 100. Now, I don't know if I want to go to 100, but I'd love to have another 20 or 30 years where we could see the gospel advance, right? So I don't know how long the dash is that you have or I have, but let's figure out how we can look back at the end when we're wherever we are and we're pondering life that we don't have any regrets about how we used the gifts and the talents and the treasure that God has embedded in us to take the gospel to your cul-de-sac and across to the corners of the globe. All right, so let's look at how I think that can happen. I'm going to give you kind of three snapshots, if you will, three pictures uh, that I think come from Scripture, off the pages of Scripture, three images, and then I'm going to give you some takeaways, okay, about how we can make it real in our own personal life today. So the first picture that I want us to have is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, and, and, the, and the first one is that in order for us to not look back and go, man, I wish I would have done this, three images. The first one is this image of a soldier, that you would possess the heart of a soldier. Now, some of you know this, but I'm in the corona club, all right? So what does that mean? It's not, I'm not having corona. I'm a teetotaler. Okay, I've lived in Europe for 10 years, and I'm still teetotaled. What that means is I don't drink, all right? And so I'm not going to have corona, but I have had Corona. Okay. So in September, I got the coronavirus. I'm clean. I'm healthy. Don't worry. Okay. You're all good. All right. If you're watching on TV, welcome to being home. You're not near me. It's so it's all good. So I'm like post 30 days. Okay. And I, and I'm not political, but I do think I had the Trump version. So like three days and then I was good. All right. So, um, let that land however you want. But in the corona experience, so seriously, I, it was pretty bad. I, I haven't had a fever in 37 years of marriage, uh, but I had two days of, of fever and aches, and, you know, I was not really, I'm not, I was not well. And then, like, after that, I was, like, achy and tired. Like, fatigue is a real deal, okay? And so, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm not a Netflix guy. I just, I, I can't be bothered. That's a great British term for, I'm just not interested in spending loads of time on, on Netflix or Amazon, whatever, or whatever. I just don't, you know, 
I feel like life's too short. But anyway, in that moment, when I wasn't doing a lot, I, I, I went back. I've never seen the whole Band of Brothers series. Now, again, it's, it's brutal. There's a lot of bad language. But I've watched from session one all the way to the last one, back to back to back to back. Like I did like four a day, okay? It's about all I could handle because it was brutal. But part of what I was thinking, this, this mindset about the heart of a soldier is that generation, God blessed them for what they did. I mean, they attacked tyranny at the cost of their very own lives. They laid their lives down. And there were over and over again in that series where Winter says to his troops, follow me, let's go, join me. And they didn't even hesitate. And so this heart of a soldier, this posture of a soldier is, one of the things I would love for you to do is today, just right before you, or maybe at your kitchen table, if you're watching online, you would just drop your yes on the table to whatever God says to you in the days to come. I mean, that to me is the posture of the heart of a soldier, where all of a sudden we just recognize, we, we reconcile that all the stuff that's going on around me, nothing else is as important as the kingdom of God and the advancement of the gospel and making disciples. And God, whatever you call me to, I'm throwing my yes on the table. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, this picture that so, uh, Paul gives us. In verse, um, verse 1, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people. Doesn't that just leak relationships? Paul's saying, whatever you've been given, you pour it out into people, and you invest in them so that they will be able to tell other people about Jesus. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. When Winter said go, they went. They didn't even care about their very own lives. And many of them lost their lives. The reality is God's called you and I to have the heart of a soldier, the heart of a warrior. And I promise you, if that's your demeanor, if that's your posture, it's one of the pieces of of how we can know that at the end of our life, we'll have a no regrets life. We'll, have, we'll look back and go, God, I gave you all that I had until my very last breath. The posture, the heart of a soldier. A second verse is, um, is Hebrews. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And man, when I read those verses and when I watched that show, it just reminded me how powerful it would be in all of our lives if we just simply said, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, my yes is on the table. I'm going to follow you. My face is fixed like a flint on you, King Jesus. I'm your warrior. I'm your man or your woman or your young person until my very last breath. Possess the heart of a soldier. Is your yes on the table today? I mean, again, this church has so many opportunities for you to say, God, here's my yes. I'm going to engage my community. God, here's my yes. I'm going to come alongside these kids at these schools who need someone to reach out to them in this moment, the weirdest moment in my adult life, to go, 
okay, I'm going to write notes to these young people. I'm going to invest in these young people. Will you have the heart of a soldier? Will you throw your yes on the table today? The second picture is, is this whole picture in John chapter 10 where Jesus kind of gives us this, this beautiful picture of, of, of a shepherd, right? He says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And we need to, we need to say, God, would you, not, would you not only give me the passion and the zeal and the fervor to throw my yes on the table and be a soldier, but God, would you press into me the heart of a shepherd? Because right around that same passage, actually one verse before, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus identifies that the enemy, the one that we're a soldier against, is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And he says, I'm the good shepherd. And oh, by the way, you are called to shepherd the people around you. It's the posture of a shepherd or the heart of a shepherd. And when I started thinking about, I mean, we've lived in England for nine years, um, and we fled with coronavirus when Trump closed down the borders. Uh, we came back in March. But one of the favorite things we would do if we had any free time, we would just go drive out in the hills, and there's sheep everywhere. And my wife loves sheep. Um, and so we would just go, and, and, and lambing season is always fun because there are all these little lambs skipping around. And, and, and when you get in the field and you hang out with sheep, I mean, the picture you always have, the images, and there are real shepherds, by the way, in the United Kingdom, and they're looking after their sheep. They're out with them when it's freezing, which is often, um, and they're out when, with them when it's wet, which is all the time, and uh, not really. That's a lie, 90% of the time. Anyway, actually, there's more per, uh, precipitation in Houston per cap, I mean, per annual than there is where we live, but um, so come to, come to Europe. Anyway, uh, uh, there, a shepherd is near. A shepherd is always close. Man, you need to be near the people. This has been the most awkward season in our world when people are so isolated. And God needs to well up in you a heart, the heart of a shepherd, that you're near people. You're investing in people. A shepherd shields and safeguards. And parents, I just want to speak to you for a moment. This John 10, 10 verse, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Grandparents, Man, you need, to, you need to understand one of the roles of a shepherd is to protect, to shield, and safeguard. And um, some of you get mama bear on really good, you know, but I, I think you need to have that same mindset about your kids and your grandkids. That in this moment, there's an intensity, there's a spiritual darkness, there's all kinds of stuff pressing in against our children and our young people, and you need to have the heart of a shepherd and shield and safeguard and protect. A shepherd also provides comes alongside. You're doing that through this ministry of feeding people. Every Saturday, people come by to get food. Provide for folks, a heart of a shepherd. And then a shepherd knows and cares for people. So the beautiful thing about God is he wants to be near you, but he also knows you. And that's the same thing he's calling us to, to be, to be shepherds for people, to be near them, to love them, to shepherd them, to take them on a journey and take them safely into a, to a field of delight, into a green pasture somewhere. And so let's, let's have the heart of a shepherd. And then the third picture is, um, is just really modeled by Jesus himself, is that God would 
give you and God would give me, we would possess the heart of a servant. And, and you know, Jesus, one of the verses that has become so uh, real to me as, as a follower of Christ is Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Um, you know, one of, the, one of our mantras is the gospel moves at the speed of relationships. Another mantra that we use a lot, that we speak a lot about with our teams, is live your life in such a way that people ask why. Why are you different? I, I believe with all my heart that John and Jenny Stewart connected with this church, did life with people, began to ask why questions because they saw the way people lived. And the greatest draw to a lost man is not some service or some event or something we do. It's who you are. Moment by moment, day by day, in front of them, living the life of a servant. Now, Jesus modeled this for us. He said that about himself in in Matthew chapter 20, but he showed us in John chapter 13. So you can flip there if you want, but we're moving really quick here. But the reality is Jesus was with his disciples, the upper room, the night before he was to be uh, you know, sacrificed at Golgotha, sacrificed, laid his life on a cross so that you and I could have a personal relationship with, with God the Father. Jesus walks in the upper room. He's with his disciples. And you know what he does? He takes off his outer garment, the robe, symbol of royalty, the king of kings and lord of lords, takes off his outer garment and he picks up a towel and a basin and he washes the disciples' feet. What an image, what a picture for you and me. The most important person walks into the room and he takes up the mantle of a slave, the heart of a servant. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. I believe with all my heart that your life and my life are the fragrant aroma, the attraction, if you will, that draws people into a personal relationship with Jesus. And I believe this generation is watching to see if we're real. And the way we show them that we are real is by taking up the heart of a servant, that your posture is you're going to serve your community, you're going to serve your neighborhood, you're going to serve this local context, but you're also going to be launching people to serve globally. Serve globally. The heart of a servant. So how do, then, how do we then position ourselves? If those three images are real, soldier, shepherd, servant, and those are the kind of, that's our posture, all of those three things, then how do we position ourselves to be used by God. I've often wondered that. God, why do you pick up certain people and use, your, use their lives for the glory of God and you don't use other people? Why does that happen? I want to be, like I said, I want, I want the dash to matter. And I want, I want to look back and go, man, I gave my all for the glory of God and for King Jesus. I want to be used by God. I know that's your heart too. So how do we position ourselves to do that? Well, the first thing, really quick, is I think you need to be healthy. Healthy. And what do I mean by that? It starts spiritually. Is there a wholeness about you? Have you met Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to him? Salvation is a moment in time. It's a decision that you make. 
But that's the beginning, not the end. Discipleship is a destination. It's a journey of obedience. And it starts with this book, that you and I would saturate our hearts and our minds with the word of God, that we would treasure God's word. Are you healthy spiritually? Are you saturating your soul in the word of God? Now listen, this is my ordination Bible from 1983. It was recovered not long ago. But I love this Bible. It's, it's a beast. It's really heavy to carry. So I love, I love the technology that we have today. Like I, I honestly, I don't, other than when I'm preaching, I don't really use this book anymore. I'm kind of torn between two worlds. I'm stuck in two opinions, right? I love the ease of having the Bible app and being able to take notes and all that stuff, but I actually do love a bit of paper and to be able to write things down. I don't care what you do or how you do it, but would you please make the first part of your day that you are going to crack open God's word and saturate your soul and treasure the word of God? The second thing is, as God speaks to you, and I believe he does, we know the scripture says about itself that it's living and active and sharp. It goes down deep into the hearts of those that hear it. So as you saturate your mind and your soul in the word, creating spiritual health, God wants to speak to you moment by moment. And so I call that practicing the presence of God. You, you, you and I have the opportunity today to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, for God to be speaking to you from his word and for you to be having a conversation with him as you go throughout your day. There was this guy by the name of Brother Lawrence, 17th century monk. He was a cook and a dishwasher. But you know what? We're still talking about him in the 21st century. You know why? Because he wrote in his journals about practicing the presence of God. That everywhere we are, whatever, wherever our step is in that moment, you and I can be walking in the presence, the very presence of God. That's what's going to draw people, is when you are spiritually healthy and whole. And then the last bit about that is, as, as the Lord prompts, as you listen to the Holy Spirit, that you respond in obedience to whatever he's calling you to do in that moment. Y'all, that's where Christianity moves from being rote and ritualistic to vibrant and alive and an adventure. And I want more of that. I want more of that and not just casual cultural Christianity, okay? I want it to become alive and real and that the power of God is coursing through my life and through your life. And so there needs to be in us a health spiritually. As a youth pastor for 30 years in America, the hardest thing to do is to get kids, young people, to value the word of God. I don't think that's, I think that's because the enemy knows. That's a spiritual warfare thing. That's not God's word's not relevant. It's the most relevant book on the planet, right? But the enemy knows if you and I get our hearts saturated, we're a threat. We're a threat to the enemy. And so, man, the first thing is that you and I are healthy spiritually. The second thing, just real quick, these next two really, really fast, that you need to be healthy physically. Now, in 2008, I was on a mission trip in London, coming home from the northeast of England. And God spoke to me as clear as I can remember any, any time the Lord has spoken to me. I weighed 243 pounds in that moment. Now, there's a lot of factors 
I love food. That's one of them. I'd ruptured my Achilles tendon like two years before that. That's another factor. But the reality was there was not a ton of discipline in my life in that moment. And here's what God said to me. Mike, what if I want to use your life and you're not physically able to do what I'm about to take you into? I, I didn't want, I didn't want, I, I did not want to hinder what God wanted to do in my life. Now, this is not about looking good. This is about being useful for the glory of God till your last breath. And literally, I got off the plane in August of 2008, and I went to Klein High School where they had that brand new spongy AstroTurf, and I literally ran the most boring time up and down from the one end zone to the other for like a month and started losing weight so I could actually go have fun and run on the roads and dodge pickup trucks, you know? And the reality is, all I'm saying is, don't waste the moments. Don't waste the opportunities that are before you. You don't know what God wants to bring you into. So let's do all we can to last as long as we can for the glory of God so that we can advance the gospel and make disciples. Now, God could snatch me out of here today, right? I'm fine with that. I just want to be as healthy as I can for the, for the glory of God. Now, listen, I know some folks, that, that may land on you the wrong way. Some folks, you might not have any chance to do anything physical. I understand that. But the reality is, let's do all we can so that we can position ourselves physically to go as hard as we can until our last breath. The, the, the next piece here is emotional health. Now, listen, again, we live in a, this is the wackiest moment. And listen, I know all of us have wrestled. All of us have struggled in this moment. And I know there are real mental health issues genuine mental health issues. There are people in this room and on this campus that want to help you emotionally. This is an amazing church. There are professionals. The whole point here is don't walk this road alone. If you're struggling and you're really, really hurting, would you please find someone and say, I need to go on a journey and I want to get whole emotionally, right? So the first thing is just get serious about health. Start spiritually, physically, and emotionally so that you can be an instrument that God reaches down and uses to take the gospel wherever your foot falls in the days to come. Really quick, the second thing is rhythm, that you would figure out a rhythm in your life. Now, that's kind of, that's kind of out the door right now because rhythm is really weird right now. But the reality is you need to come up with pace and stop signs and points of pause in your life so that there's a healthy rhythm for you as you walk with God, as you, make, as you make much of these moments, as you listen to the Lord as he prompts and leads you. The third thing is that you need to have a sense of urgency. Listen, now more than ever, the, the, the North American continent is in a bit of a tailspin, but Europe and the rest of the world has been lost and lost and lost, so lost for, for centuries what an opportunity for us, the urgency of the gospel, the lostness of humanity, and the fact that salvation comes only in Christ alone. This is an urgent moment, and we need to recognize that the gospel needs to advance even in this moment. And then the last thing is, is really, the, uh, it's about faith. It's about what are you trusting God for today, that if he doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. Just what dream do you have? 
One of the questions I love to ask people is, what would you do for the glory of God if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you risk? What would you try? What would you do to advance the gospel? Dream with me today about how God could use your life. How could he use you as a, as a family? How could he use you as a single uh, young guy or gal? How could he use you as a senior adult to step into the world of mission and be used by God for the rest of your life until the dash ends? The gospel moves at the speed of relationships. He's calling you to enter into the story that he wants to write with your life. Would you pray with me? Would you just bow your heads? And the, uh, the church here uh, has an amazing folks. And there's going to be a, a, a number on screen. If, if you'll just text, uh, man, I want to pray with someone today. Or I want to have a conversation with somebody today. I'm not sure I know Christ today. Or I want to engage God in global mission, both locally and across an ocean. I want to have a conversation about being used by God for the glory of God until my last breath. Just, you know, as we pray here in a moment, text, text that number and, and, and set up a time to meet with one of these guys or gals and say, hey, I'm open, man. I want to know what God wants for my life. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you, um, first of all, that you are a missional God. And God, we thank you that you want to use our lives for the rest of our lives, for the glory of God, to advance the gospel and to make disciples that make disciples. And so, Lord, would you help us be a part, full-fledged, I'm all in, my yes is on the table, to do that till our very last breath. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.